0: along to the very latest uh, Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman and thanks to CharlesLouis.co.uk who are our sponsors on the podcast for the season. We're here again. Uh, they are, of course, uh, CharlesLouis.co.uk, a chartered mortgage advisor which is run by a guy called Dave, big city fan, Big shout out to him. Big thanks to him for supporting us. And if you need any advice on buying a mortgage for you, for anybody else, or you're just buying a house and you need some advice on things to do with finances, have a look at their website. Give them a call. Look at the number on the website. Give them a call and they will be delighted to help you. And by all means, throw in that you heard about them on the Forever Blue podcast. Uh, With me tonight are two regulars, uh, Paul and Emily, so thanks for coming along to you two, and we have a newbie who is Andy, who is a big City fan, um, but also um, somebody who you may have seen a little glimpse of on the Forever Blue vlog. From the Manchester United game uh, At the weekend So welcome along Andy Thanks a lot Obviously Will is here The usual uh, Steven Spielberg man Filming it And you may see a little bit of this On the Forever Blue YouTube channel as well We're speaking on the Sunday night The night after the Manchester derby When uh, City lost 2-1 There was also the game against Burnley In midweek And coming up there is a game over in Croatia in the Champions League. And then next weekend, uh, or this coming weekend actually, it'll be quicker than you think, the away trip to Arsenal in the Premier League. There are so many subjects that we need to talk about and there are so many emotions running at the moment. The first thing I want to say, because I don't want to make this podcast about the trouble that happened off the field, but I think it would be remiss of us not to mention it, I don't think there's anybody in the right mind, and certainly none of the the four of us who are here, and five of you include Will, who wouldn't condemn, forthrightly, uh, racist chanting um, and all that sort of stuff, throwing missiles which it seems came from the City End and the United End. Um, it doesn't make it right that one did it and you do it back. Uh, and and I, I, for one, completely and utterly condemn that type of behaviour. I hope that the people who perpetrated that are brought to book, a ban for life, and it has no place in football. And I hope that I speak, and I'm confident that I speak, for us all here. Is that absolutely. fair enough? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 100%. So uh, I will refer a little bit to um, sort of the bad temper that was around because I'm going to read out a couple of messages that have been sent to me. But before we do that, I want to ask all three of you, in broad strokes, what you thought of the game um, yesterday. So, Emily, you know, you can kick us off. What what did you think of the game?
1: (sighs) Uh, That says it all, really. (laughs) We don't need to go any further,
0: do we? (laughs) That that just said it all. Right. Yeah. Next. Uh.
1: It, it, yeah, it just, I mean, the atmosphere, for, for one, it, it was the worst derby atmosphere that I've been in for years. From the start? From the For, for me, from the start, and I, I'm in the South Stand.
0: What was different then?
1: It, it just, it, it didn't feel like really, like, fired up, and, like, it didn't feel like everybody was, like, really, really up for it, which kind of surprised me because it was a late kickoff. Uh, it just seemed a bit more of, a, like, a sombre mood, and I think... Early on in the game, when there was a bit of a penalty shout near in front of us at the south stand, when play moved down the other end and then they subsequently got a penalty, maybe people thought, hang on a minute, we've been done again by VAR because the play's not been pulled back for us. They've gone straight down the other end and they've been given a penalty by VAR. I don't know if that had an effect on the atmosphere, but for me, that's how it felt around me. It was like, oh, great, here we go again. we are being done again, whether it was a penalty or not you know, that's kind of like the the opening for the mood, if you like, and it set the tone. Um, but we were second best throughout. You know, it, it, to me, it feels like people have found us out a little bit. They know how to play against us. You know, they sit in deep against us, and then they attack us on the counter, and we've seen it against Wolves, against Norwich, Liverpool, Newcastle to an extent, and... Time and time again it's happening and the pace of Martial and Rashford yesterday completely done us over. We were second to to everything and the first half was just abysmal. It could have been like 4-0 at half time to them, you know, when they hit the post and they had a couple more chances. Um, Second half, it was a little bit too little too late. Ottomendi came on and was one of the only players that showed any battle or any fight. Um, along with maybe Carl Walker, to an extent Kevin De Bruyne, but none of them really looked like they knew that they were playing in a derby. Like, where was the passion and the desire and the grit? You know, it just, it didn't look right and it didn't sit right with me at all.
0: Now, you've made a lot of points, though, which I'm sure the other two guys and, mm-hmm. and myself will come in on. But I'm going to throw right back now because we'll talk about the game, I'm sure, in a lot of depth. You're talking about the atmosphere and you're saying right from the start didn't feel right. Now, on the vlog that I do on Forever Blue's YouTube channel, I asked a lot of fans before the game whether the Manchester Derby was the first one they circle when the fixtures come out in June and I asked them whether the Manchester Derby is still the biggest game at the Etihad of the season and I was actually quite surprised by the number of people who said no it isn't, not anymore, it's the Liverpool game and uh, when I asked them for scores, uh, they were quite dismissive because it was mid-table Manchester United, we don't worry about them anymore, not everybody but but that seemed to be a bit of a feeling and I, so I wonder whether the atmosphere in the stadium was reflective of that because although it was only maybe five or six people that, that actually contributed in the vlog in that way, although I sensed it was quite a general feeling, I wonder whether that meant that people didn't go as pumped up because it didn't feel like it was as important? Or could it just be that City, before yesterday's game, had already subconsciously accepted that the title race was over? What was it? Can, you put your fi- Can any of you
2: put your finger on what it was, if that's true? Um, I, I, I slightly, slightly disagree with you. I thought the first five minutes, the atmosphere was okay. And I thought City did all right in the first five minutes. I thought it was in for a spectacular game yesterday. Um the the atmosphere dropped quite rightly when you you know the, the Emily said there when um you know here we go again, dismiss penalty, go to the other end and score. It's like Liverpool all over again. Um to me, I've all season I've been kind of thinking, oh yeah, Liverpool's the big and if I, I want United to you not know, bother about United. Until I met my mates at eleven o'clock in the pub. And we started talking about bygone days and all the rest of it and I looked around it was the pub was full you know weather spoons pub was full of people having breakfast and the atmosphere was great in there and I looked around and I, I was chatting to my mates and I thought I've been kidding myself this is the this is the game this is this is the game for me this is what I've been brought up on I hate United strong word hate I know but that's how it is I hate United and over the years it's been watered down a little bit because we've had a purple patch and they've gone by the wayside so liverpool have been our rivals in the league if you like but yesterday reinforced it to me was how much a, a detest united and how much of a, a big game it is um I, I i thought the atmosphere started all right but then it that when they got that penalty he just killed it. Everybody just sat back and thought, oh, here we go again. Yeah, but why?
0: Why would, I, why would you sit back? If you go 1 0 down in the derby, and certainly in the past when you go 1 0 down in the derby, you go,
2: come on, let's turn this around. I think it was but the manner. I think it was the manner, like Emily said. I think it was because, you know, we, we felt like we done to again. And we've had it a few times this season, quite a few times where we've had a decision, you know, whether it was a penalty or not, I don't know. But it's that injustice again. And not, kind I'll of...
0: talk about the penalties and the VAR yeah. in a minute. But
2: that's how it felt to me. I, I, I,
0: uh,
3: I still ring it as the number one, and I don't get the sickening feeling that I used to get. It's not as bad as it used to be. Um, yesterday, going in the pub before the game, we're all sitting round, you know, having a little look at the betting. What's worth? Uh, what's value today? And United were eight to one to win, twelve to one both teams to score. And a lot of money went on some accounts from lads who 50-plus years old who still have that feeling that it's Man United, it's Derby Day, they've had a good, good result on Wednesday. So I think from my perspective, I went into the ground with a little bit of intrepidation, uh, which I shouldn't be feeling logically with the positions in the league and, and recent results. But again, they have not lost, or they lost once in the last four times at the Etihad. So we haven't got Etihad as a fortress against them, but we, should, we do well at Old Trafford. Now, I thought the atmosphere actually at the start was fantastic. We drowned out United for for a good 10 minutes. It's very unusual not to be able to hear the away end from where I was sitting yesterday. But as soon as, obviously, they started uh, ploughing up the field and ripping us to pieces, it just died. And then, of course, we're all having to put up with all the toxicity that sits near us because people get access to seats who are away fans. So I think that was kind of like, you know how it how it felt yesterday and probably from about um, probably from half time or a little bit before I just thought we were going to struggle and the reason for that is just watching the body language of the bench watching the body language of the players breaking play United are in a huddle they're talking our players dispersed all around the pitch nobody taking any leadership on the pitch whatsoever no one getting the lads together saying come on we've got to get on with this there wasn't any, and it was obvious that they were hungrier for the, for that game, and that it was very very difficult to see any positives. And well, you asked me yesterday on the on the vlog, and at, at the time I couldn't think of a positive, but actually we scored from a corner,
2: <laughs> so so <laughs> yeah. that's the
3: that's the positive I'm going to take out of it, and that was it. I didn't really see an awful lot else to to be cheering about really. Ian.
0: So well, the toxicity will come into as well. Let's just uh, let's just park the VAR by discussing it and then we'll move on. Um, I, at the time, watching the game from where I was and any of us that were in the ground, I think we're all in the ground, weren't we? Um, Don't get the... the, Well, I sometimes get the luxury of a replay on a small screen in the press box, but you wouldn't have had a replay until you saw it afterwards on TV. I've now watched the highlights and I accept, having watched the highlights, that there were three claims for handball inside the penalty area. I'm not sure that uh, whilst this handball rule is so confusing these days as to whether it is it is it handball now if it's meant or if it's not meant and what what is that constitutes unnatural and i know that there's a conspiracy theory from millions of city fans who want to believe that there is there is actual corruption um and uh, you know, th- things again. You know, Michael Oliver was the VAR man, and Anthony Taylor, whose family are all United fans, was the referee. So therefore, it's all it's all bent and everything. I've I've said to a few supporters' club branches that I've been at recently that if you genuinely believe that the game is corrupt, if you genuinely believe this then why are you going? Because if the game is corrupt, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to be anything to do with football if it's actually corrupt. Now, if you believe it's corrupt, then then we really are in a bad position. If you don't believe it's corrupt, then you're saying that there are mistakes being made. And, of course, VAR is very subjective because, you know, it, it's still an opinion. It's an opinion of a different person on different people, but it's still an opinion. So let me quickly ask you, the three of you, do you one, two or three penalties or none. What You've seen the claims. Should City have had any penalties?
1: It's hard to know because, like you say, there's so many different rules that go along with it and there was a rule apparently that it can't be a handball if he's going to ground. So, I mean, if that's the case and he is going to ground, but then in another instance it probably would have been given because it's so inconsistent. And, I mean, with the corruption thing, until there's transparency, until we see replays, in the grounds and we hear it like in rugby where you can hear the conversations or is it do they do that in cricket as well i'm not sure but until it's that transparent so we can hear the conversations going on that the conspiracy thing will never ever go away it will always be around but it's the inconsistency because on a different get on a different day that penalty probably would have been given by a different referee so would you have given one Potentially, yeah.
0: One, two, or three, Paul.
2: Um, can I be perfectly honest? I, I couldn't tell you because I've not watched the the game after. That's fair enough. I just saw it on the day, and on the day, it, I've seen the only clip I've seen is the 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 handball. Which one? Um, where he went sliding in, Fred. It, yeah, Fred went sliding in. It definitely hit his hand. He definitely controlled it with his hand. But apparently the rule is if it's a defender, it's the, it's his hand or something. It's not given, and so it was definitely handball, but. I don't know what rule they used to say it wasn't.
3: What about you, Andy? Similar. I haven't seen all three incidents. I've only seen the Fred one. I think he has moved his arm in the direction of the ball, but again, it it can be interpreted that he's falling. So, you know, you got to play the you got to play the the referee. We've we've had the VAR hit us at a time when form has dipped. So we've got no comparison to previous seasons. We just know that we've been out playing teams for the last two seasons and this season we're not, and VAR's there, if we want to, to hide behind it, or to genuinely say, this is a problem the way this has been interpreted. Um, I know you're not a fan of it. Um, I must admit, I was very open-minded. I think that after yesterday, did it make a difference to the result? No, I don't think it did.
0: So Well, that was the follow-up <laughs> question, really. Do the three of you, again... Um, City lost the game only by one goal in the end uh, but obviously they had lots of chances clear chances mm-hmm. when they were really running City ragged I felt early on in that game for a spell of about 20-25 minutes if one of those decisions two of them, three as some people might say had happened might it have been different could, could City have won that game do you blame decisions, VAR or do you feel that United were the better side and deserved to win?
1: I'm not going to hide behind VAR for that, particularly for the first half performance, because the first half performance mm. was shambolic, mm. and it was a complete disgrace. Second half, we actually had the chances. Rodri went close, didn't he? And Jesus missed a kind of gilt-edged chance, which Aguero would have buried. And that's the De Bruyne cross, yeah. and he yeah. heads it wide. And this, yeah. you know, that's a familiar kind of story with Jesus. I mean, obviously, we're going to go to the Burnley game, and we'll probably talk about that, um, where he scored a couple of goals there, but. Um, there's been a few recently where Jesus has got into positions where we know that Aguero would absolutely nail it into the back of the net and he's missed it. So I'm not, I wouldn't single out players because they were a lot of them were culpable yesterday, but we had the chances.
0: Is VAR an excuse? I mean, we often talk about Liverpool, and I know you have Paul many times <laughs> using excuses uh, in life generally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do, do you, as a City fan, use VAR in a, as an excuse? Or was City well beaten yesterday? They
2: were well beaten, but you can never say that VAR didn't influence the game yesterday. Because if if that penalty had been given early doors, and we'd have got the penalty, and they hadn't. We'd have scored. We'd be one nil up. We'd be buzzing. Their heads are down. So you don't know. I know. I know. It's like when um, we played Liverpool and Mane got sent off. You know, we we were winning that, and they say, "Oh well, if Mane hadn't got sent off, then you know we we'd we'd we'd, we'd, we'd beat you." Well, you don't know that. We can only go off. Their their game might have completely change because going down one nil early on, they've got to come out again and attack us. So they may not better sit back like they did. So we we, we can't say. Um, It just seems that VAR seems to affect us as fans and and the team more than others, I think. I don't know. Um,
3: I think from a fan-going perspective, it's horrible, frankly. I've not had an opportunity to speak about it with you, really, or on this podcast before. And um, For me, it takes all the fun out of uh, watching the match wherever you are, whether they put it on the big screen or not, um, the, the moment of ecstasy is taken away from you completely when you score. We've had some really bad ones, of course, which make it doubly difficult. Um, but I think that I've just become resigned to the fact now that the you know reversals aren't going to happen and we're not getting the rub of the green. So I just ended up expecting that whenever any VAR checks come up, we're lucky if we get one in our favour.
2: We don't know when they're coming up, though, do we? I mean, I was stood at the game yesterday thinking, is it, has he stopped the game because he's checking it? Is he stopped because he's an injury? Are we still playing on but going to be checking it while the game's played on? Nobody knows. And then the screen comes up, and then the screen only comes up when the game seems to be stopped. But when you listen to it on a the television, they're sort of like saying, oh, yeah, that VAR are checking that. So people at home know they're checking it, but us in the ground don't know it's being checked, so it's that uncertainty. We don't know what's going
3: on. I started actually putting a little pocket radio in my coat Mm. simply because at least you've got something um, to give you an idea Mm. of of how things have. So when I need to, I'll pop the earpiece in and just have a listen. It's funny, I thought you
0: were just going deaf and I'd (laughs) see you in that in your ear. (laughs) Yeah well, <laughs> well anyway be, well, i'm not commentating well, anymore well, well, so i was it. going to say the people on the radio are
3: far more interesting than the ones that used to
0: commentate
2: so
0: uh. <laughs> right let, let me read this one out and this is a message i got from a guy called dave flint um uh, and this this goes on to tox- the co- toxicity yeah. that was uh, being spoken about before right <laughs> um i thought i'd bring this to your, to, to your attention uh, and this occurred during the match last last night me and my eight-year-old son sit in uh uh, block th- 316, uh, started out as a blue on blue argument during the game, close by us turned into something very nasty and had about 8 or 10 people fighting at one point. Very scary stuff for an 8 year old to witness as you can imagine. Uh, reason why I thought I'd let you know is that the stewing was stewarding was horrendous, took over 5 minutes of scrapping before 2 blokes appeared. There was about as much use as a a chocolate teapot. I took the decision to remove my son from the ground at this point as he was scared stiff and crying. Only then did we see police reinforcements on the concourse. I've emailed the club as I did try ringing them on Saturday night but apparently it was closed. Maybe a discussion to be had about this on the podcast. They also pointed out that this happened in the 36 minutes so he and his son left the game on 36 minutes. I also had a phone call this morning from a guy who I've bumped into outside the ground, who's been on the vlog in the past, who told me that he'd been assaulted at the game. Uh, and he said he'd been having a discussion with somebody which started off quite reasonably. The subject was Foden, who we'll no doubt talk about as we go along in this podcast, and he felt that Foden should have been playing and somebody else was saying the opposite, and that two City fans, or more than two City fans, one side hitting the other. Now, obviously, the stuff that Dave Flint said about stewarding and policing, we don't know if any of that's true. I'm not disbelieving Dave Flint, but we haven't got they haven't got the right to reply to say, well, this happened or that happened and we weren't there. So I can't comment on the specifics of that though. Dave, thanks for for drawing it to our attention. But what we can talk about is the is the tension that that appears to be among City fans. And obviously, it is an example. Actually, I'll read you you read this out because there's been a lot of City fans, uh, you know, saying things about the game yesterday, and you know whether Pep did the right thing and not the right thing, team selection, all that, which you'll all talk about. Some of you might be positive on this podcast, some of you might not be, but you have, must be very, very well aware that out on social media there is uh, you know, a big war, if you like, between different factions of City fans. So this is the contrast. For all the ones who are negative, this was a tweet that was put out by Christian Redmond, uh, not to me particularly, but it's one I know that you saw, Paul, because you retweeted it, so that's why I saw it. And he just lists the statistics and says... City under Guardiola in the Premier League. 130 matches played, 97 wins, 17 draws, 16 defeats. 74.6% win record, 87.7% unbeaten. Goals scored, 325. Goals conceded, 108. Goal difference, 217. 308 points from 390. Two Premier League trophies, two managers of the year. First ever Centurions. None of this pep out, please. So he's absolutely... Adamant that there can be no criticism of Pep Guardiola, the fan who rang me up this morning was was particularly upset because he said, "Just because we've won all these trophies, are we? Are, are you saying we cannot now criticise the manager? That we're not allowed to say anything anything negative?" And it's those that probably crystallises the argument between the two sets of, of City supporters, and this is why those tensions, those arguments, why that guy had to leave the ground early. Uh, and it's not nice. So what causes that? And, and are we entitled as City fans? I, I, by criticising Pep, some will say, you're too entitled, you City fans. You don't win a game, you don't win a trophy. And that means that you're you're throwing your toys out the pram. And obviously, some of the older school City fans will say, you know, oh, we've been there when, when we won nothing. So, you know, just be grateful for what you got. Um, it, it, are people entitled to say... Pep's lost his mojo or, you know, I threw in a little bit of a subject yesterday, which Andy, unfettered by me, if you like, mentioned in the the vlog yesterday about signings and which players have come in in different eras. So that, by inference, is a criticism of Pep Guardiola. Is he beyond criticism? Is nobody allowed to criticise City, the players or the managers? Should we all just be grateful for what's happened?
1: No, because everybody's entitled to their opinion. You know, as a match going fan, you pay your money, and even if you're not a match going fan, you're a fan, and that's what you're entitled to to do. I see it on there every minute of every day, honestly, and and you've summed it up perfectly, Ian, because it, it really is that kind of a divide. There's um on on the one hand, there's fans who are saying, you know, look at everything that we've won, look at the past couple of seasons that we had. It's been absolutely phenomenal. It's more than I've ever dreamed of. And then on the other side of it, you've got people saying, well, hang on a minute, you can still criticise. And I've said it on the podcast before after the Wolves game, I will always, always heap praise when and where it's due. I will do that all day long. But I will always be able to, to give a critical opinion where that's due as well. Like the Burnley game, praise is due there. And then yesterday, they deserve to be criticised. I mean, a good example of it is that I've been banging the drum for Fernandinho to go back into his natural position in defensive midfield. And then obviously, Rodri drops an absolute man-of-the-match performance against Burnley and everybody's going, oh, where are all you fans now who were calling out for Ferner mm. to go back in defensive midfield? You've all gone pretty quiet, haven't you? And then after yesterday, after Roger's performance, people are saying, oh, we really need Fernandino back in that position. And it's just like, you just feel like you, you can't win, on, particularly on social media, but you're right. And it gets quite nasty and people shut you down pretty quickly. Did um, you
0: sense that tension? Because you're behind oh, that yeah. goal.
1: There was there was fighting in the South Stand Eros between City fans, yeah. Um, I'm not sure what caused it. Um, alcohol probably Well, yeah. I I off. Mean, yeah. I, and I'm not <laughs> say I'm not excusing alcohol, but a contributing factor. We all knew as soon as that game was half five mm-hmm. from the FA and Sky, um, how the police just allow it. <laughs> you know that everybody's going to be tanked up. You know, on the beers all day. We did it. We met in, in town, went around a few pubs, had a few drinks. Um, everybody, it was a great mood in town. Absolutely superb. And then everything turns nasty because people can't handle the booze. And that's not... Say, I'm not condoning it or anything like that. But you see it at Derby games all the time, missiles being thrown. And it, it isn't anything new. Bellamy got hit by a bottle. Beckham was pelted by one-pound coins. Rio got hit by a coin in Derby's past. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's just that rivalry. But with City fans, it can get pretty nasty pretty quickly. And it does seem like there are, like... There's so much expectation because we've hit the heady heights recently, but some fans are just grateful to have experienced that and I'm kind of there, but you just have to take it game by game and you can't expect that all the time because we look pretty burnt out at the moment from it all.
0: See, I don't drink, so the the, the obviously the 5:30 kickoff and getting tanked up. Which, if people want to do that, that's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm not a prude or anything, but I, I, it doesn't make any odds to me because I don't drink. But I must admit, when that game was moved to 5:30, I, th- I I'd assumed that it would either be the 1:30 on a Sunday mm. or the 12:30 on a Saturday. It never crossed my mind. I even thought the 4:30 on a Sunday would have been dangerous. Uh, but just being realistic here, not, it shouldn't have to be. But being realistic that 4.30 Sunday was, was dangerous, I'd have expected that to be 12.30 Saturday or 1.30 Sunday. And in the old days, somebody would have said, you know, the police or somebody would have stepped in and said, you can't kick off at that time. But that seems to have just gone out the window. And to play it at 5.30 on a Saturday, just before Christmas, Christmas markets in Manchester, all that sort of stuff, did seem a bit bonkers to me. 12, 12 months ago to the day, uh, we played at Stamford Bridge at half past five. Was that the game? Absolutely. Yeah. That's wow. all I'm going to say. So the racism against so Raheem happened after... Who
3: is taking note of these incidents? And, you, of course, it's absolutely right that we, we we condemn anything like that. But it's a factor, and we have to accept it, and the authorities have to accept it. <clears throat> there, were, there was tickets for sale in the row in front of where my family sit um, until at least 11am yesterday morning at very premium rates on... Illegal sites, let's say. Um, and, you know, surprise, surprise, the, you know, I put my complaint into the club. I have some influence, so they listened. And I could see from where I was sitting that there was double stewarding on. But there wasn't in other areas that I could see. I couldn't see more high vis. So, you know, perhaps, perhaps, you know, I'm just lucky to be able to, to, to get that. It's not everyone's prerogative. Um, now, there was trouble in that block. But not directly in those seats. So, but, but that's happening in other parts of the ground. It's happening in all the hospitality areas, and and the and the bottom line is that we haven't had a problem with it because, really, for two years, nobody's given us a spanking, and it's turning a little bit now, and it's a bit more, um, you know, especially beer fueled. It's going to come out. It's going to be nasty, and you're going to be picking on people who really don't deserve it. Um, the the guy you mentioned there poor fellow with his 8 year old kid what a way to see your first derby probably miserable Um, and I think as well the incident that's been shown on on television in the corner there's there's a lady taking her I think about 6 or 7 year old child out obviously um, horrified by what she'd experienced you know so I know it's tribal and I know that there are passions running high I think the authorities and the club and the television people do have to take note of uh, what's happened yesterday um, and, and, and give us a break, really, because nobody wants to experience that on match day. I'd happily get up in the morning and go for a 12, 12.30 kick-off. No problem, I fully understand the reasons for it. We get messed about on times anyway, as it is. As soon as you say 5.30 on a Saturday, you know exactly what it's going to mean. Everybody's in town early who's on the beer, and, and it's inevitable that's going to be more trouble. And if we expect the club to steward that,
0: um, I think that that's. that's it's that's, certainly not the club's fault when it's, it's Well, it, it, it is in the sense it's that they difficult. take the money, but but they don't ch- decide to take the kick not, I don't times. blame the club. I think
3: they've got a massive task to deal with that on match day. I think it's really difficult. I mean, you know, we go to a lot of away games, a lot of away games in Europe, and I never want to see the kind of heavy handed stewarding that we experience on, on those trips ever in Britain. Um, you know, so, you know, I was. A few years ago I went to I went to a match in Argentina Boca Juniors game <clears throat> and it was amazing fantastic they have no away fans they don't do it but I'm asking the question why are there four riot police with riot guards and helmets by the corner flag and, in, and behind the corner flag is a perspect screen a a, gr- a grill there's no way you can get anything but those guys are there when the corner is taken they actually protect the player with riot shields from all the missiles that are coming down from, you know, 150 feet up in the third tier, because they've obviously had experience of things. So they do that purely as a deterrent to say it's not worth you doing. It's the most ridiculous thing to see. So I never want us to go to that extreme. I hope that we can manage this. Um, and that, yeah, what happened yesterday was just a, a beer-fuelled incident in terms of the, the missiles but it's not the first time it's happened at a Premier League match
2: See, I, I, I have to take it a little bit further than just beer-fuelled um, I don't know what you want to call it but I, I call it Colombian marching powder mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and one of the one of the uh, the side effects is that is that you think you're 10 men Now, I've got a few mates who are policemen I've got a lot of mates who are doormen and stuff like that and they're finding their life very difficult because some seven-stone soaking wet-through bloke having snorted a couple of uh, ounces or grams or whatever they call it of martin powder has become ten men. Now, I see it on a lot of away games where, you know, yesterday me and my pals went out at 11 o'clock, we had beers, we had a laugh, we had a great day until the football started. You know, so you're with your pals, we self-police each other, we have a good laugh, it's great, no problems whatsoever. But then you stop drinking, out. you know, when you get into the ground, you start sobering up because you're not having a drink because um, you can't get served quick enough most of the time. Um But you start naturally, when you've stopped drinking, you start coming down, so you start going a bit sleeping, a bit docile. That's normal. These kids and... I've seen some blokes on it as well. They get this stuff, they'll, they'll be stood. I mean, I saw a few in the away end yesterday. I stand right next to the away fans. And you saw them. They went, they went to the toilet at half-time, came back, and they were wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. Um, they were walking around like zombies, and they were just coming up with the most nonsense. They weren't drunk. You can tell they're drunk. And the thing is, when you, you're drunk, you're swinging wildly punches. These guys aren't drunk. These people are, are wide awake and thinking of ten men, so they they get Dutch courage where they wouldn't normally have it. And this, to me, is, this is something I'm seeing more and more of in away games, especially. Um, these young kids, they're on this. They, these, they're, they're a different breed and what we are with just alcohol
0: what you're telling us is frightening and and worrying and uh, there's not much we as supporters can do and and as Andy's just said the club have an uphill task to do it obviously stewarding can always be questioned policing can always be questioned everything like that costs money Uh, we you know what happens in in these football grounds what happens in society is is something that is reflected in all walks of life not just in football Um, so We've talked in the past in hooliganism back in the 70s about it being a societal problem. I mean, racism is a societal problem and it's not going to go away. Um, so whilst it's right that we highlight these on the podcast and, and bring them to people's attention, we can't solve these problems, unfortunately. Um, but So let's move on to, to you know the football um, stuff a little bit more now. Um, I've had a couple of other messages that were provoked you know were designed to provoke a little bit of discussion on the podcast tonight. There were direct messages from different people. So let's start with this one. Um, this is a, a fan who said to me, These are three questions that he wants us to talk about. Why did we spend sixty million pounds plus on Cancelo? He rarely plays and sees no upgrade on Danilo except for age two. Why do we not play Fernandinho in his true position? Uh, He's he's talking about uh, Pep here. He seems to be the only one who can't see it. Maybe stubbornness or ego comes into place here. Three, why are Folden and Garcia not going straight into a meaningful game? He talks them up, but it's all BS.
2: Was that me that sent
0: you that? No. Have you got 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 any easy (laughs)
1: questions?
0: You know... Tell me, answer all them three. Answer one of them, whatever you want.
1: That is actually something that's been quite familiar on Twitter uh, recently. All three points. Obviously, I, I touched on Ferner in defensive midfield, um, and I do think Pep is stubborn. But you know, he's people think he's holier than thou, so to criticise him means that you can't. You just get your opinion shut down because how dare you think you know any better than Pep? You're just like uh, you know, playing football manager on Twitter, aren't you? Um, It's called an opinion. And yesterday I thought that we lacked, severely lacked leadership. And I said that obviously, stating the obvious, the void was Vincent Company. um, And it's really cost us big time not, you can't replace the irreplaceable. But why didn't we go in on for, for Chilwell? You know, I don't understand it. I don't. Well, left fullback I,
0: w- is an area that people discuss a lot.
1: You know, I don't understand why we didn't go in harder. And part of Pep's whole setup and and when the system works so well relies on fullbacks. So fullbacks are so important in the side, and he's tinkering with them. But he's had to because of injury, obviously. Sinchenko's been out. From what I've seen of Mendy, he's just not good enough. He was at Monaco. He's been blighted with injury, obviously, at City. And he's just... I don't ever think that we'll ever see that form that he ever had at Monaco, sadly. Um, Cancelo, Cancelo, I've not really seen enough of him because he's not really getting the game time. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't really offer an informed opinion of him. The question
0: from Marcus um, seems to... uh, Sorry, from Charles, uh, seems to start with... Uh, you know why has he signed him? Yeah. And I mean, you would think that if he's going to spend sixty million pounds on a right fullback, that in a game up against Manchester United, that uh, if they both fit, Carl Walker and Cancelo, that Cancelo would be his first choice. Well, I, I can answer the, that straight away because I mentioned
3: it to you. He could have paid thirty-five million for Juan if we needed a right back, yeah. and he was a good player last season. He's not suddenly become a good player because he's turned up for the Reds. So, on a, on a value-for-money basis, one nil to them.
0: Well, on the transfers, I mentioned it briefly last week, um, and obviously then City go and win at Burnley and everything seems fine, and it becomes a sort of an irrelevant question, but this type of defeat focuses the mind a little bit more. And I highlighted the fact that, The success that we've had, whilst Pep has been at the helm, and I'm a huge admirer of Pep Guardiola, I should say that, absolutely (laughs) think he is God, right? And not only as a coach, but off the field as well. Uh, I sit there at the press conferences, I listen to him, I watch his body language, and I think, what a man, what a man of integrity, everything Mm -hmm. that I want in a manager. However, I don't think he's beyond criticism. And whether it's him that makes these decisions, whether it's Cheeky, whether it's Ferran, whether it's all three of them, the fact is that if you look at the players that have been key to City's success in the last few years, um, you know, look at Vincent Cumney, who was signed during, let's, let's call it during the Mark Hughes era, whoever it was, whether it was Brian Marwood, whether it was Mark Hughes, but he was signed in that era. Pablo Zabaleta, certainly was pre-the Pep era. Um, I can't remember if it was Mark Hughes or I think it was during the Mark Hughes, Hughes actually era was, that he yeah. came in. Yep. Then you look at, at, at Aguero, you look at David Silva, you look at Yaya Toure, who have obviously has, has gone now. Um, key, absolutely huge, nobody denies, legends who dragged City into this glorious period, all signed in the Mancini era. Then you look at Fernandinho, what a crucial player he's been signed under Pellegrini. And you look at the, and I'm not, I'm not going to list everyone, and people can pick holes in that. But you look at the players now that have come in in the Pep Guardiola era. Gabriel Jesus, for example, is a Pep Guardiola signing. Um, John Stones is a Pep Guardiola signing. Uh, and and I'm, I, as I say, I'm not going to go through the whole list here. Uh, Cancelo, Bernard, uh, Mendy. Two full backs, neither of which played yesterday and yet cost, you know, well over a hundred million pounds. And you think, just picking a few of these names out, are we going in the right does that give you the optimism that, 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 that the players that are being signed in this era are gonna be as good as the ones that were signed in the previous era?
2: Well, you list all them players he signed. Maybe Pep doesn't think um Rodri obviously
0: falls maybe into Maybe Pep that.
2: doesn't believe in having a leader on the pitch then. Because he's not one he's signed mm. there. He's a leader on the that's pitch, a good point. and that's what we're missing. We're massively missing that. You know, uh, forget what you, whether you thought he was past it or what on the pitch with company. That's another argument. Um, what we are missing is a leader. Now, wh- there's no. I don't see anybody on that pitch who's a leader. Not one. I, I hope. I, I might be wrong. You might see it different. But I don't see a leader. In the dressing room or on the pitch we've got all these characters around the ground you know we've got your car walkers and your your jovial characters um but if we haven't got a natural born leader and you can't be made to be a leader you're born that way and we haven't got one
3: well i alluded to what i watched just today and the the be you know the simple observational behavior of uh, of just human beings whether it's in your workplace your family We can all see those things. And I think that about Pep and whether or not he should be criticised, everything you said, I would fully agree with. But just like in my job, if I talk to my boss about my results in 2016, 17 or 18, he really doesn't care, frankly. Mm -hmm. And you're not as good as your previous year. You're as good as what you're doing for sustainable results not immediate results, it's about keeping it going year after year, developing your organisation, managing succession planning, doing all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of people to support uh, Pep Guardiola in that, very, very good people as well. And let's be frank, he's delivered, the team's delivered, everything's gone right. But I think we've had an earthquake with company going. That's a massive crack in the model. And it's probably going to take us this season to even begin to understand just how big a gap he's left uh, in terms of the influence he's had on the whole culture of that football
0: club. So why, team. Charles asks, did we sign Cancelo for £60 million in the summer?
1: <laughs>
0: that says it <laughs> all know, as well. That, that says TV it all.
2: Did, did they pick the wrong person up from the airport, maybe? I don't know. That's the only reason I can... I, and I that's not an know. attack
0: on Cancelo, by no, the way. No, absolutely but, not. I just but, don't... It it, it puzzles me. I mean, at left. We
2: didn't need a right back, did we?
0: I mean, obviously. uh, Emily's trying to be um, supportive of, of Mendy, and as much as saying he was he was good at uh, at, at Monaco, and he's not as good post injuries. I've got to be honest and say that I, when I watched him at Monaco, I didn't quite see what everybody saw in him. So I was but I was willing to give him a chance. He's now had injuries. Whether that has, has applied to it, I don't know. But what is inarguable is that Pep didn't trust him in the in the biggest game, the Manchester Derby. He picked Angelino who is a young kid who is yet really to be proven. And I thought Angelino was out of his depth in that Manchester derby. And no actually, doubt. I would also Paul argue, yeah. disagree with me if you like, that our best left-back, if he was fit, is the Ukrainian left-winger that's been converted yeah. into <clears throat> yeah. a left-back. Who cost us nothing. Who wasn't a pet Guardiola signing, yeah. by the way, as far as I'm aware. So, uh,
3: what does that say? Yeah. Well, well, I think you, uh, Paul was sat with me when uh, we were getting... Taken t- apart by counter attack against Wolves, and it was the yeah. lad from Sky, James Cooper, who just turned around. He was sat in front of us and just said, "There you go. That's what you get when you buy a sixty million pound right back." Uh, basically inferring that we should have bought a centre half. And again, it's um, it's a fact, and it, and I think we're all still a bit lost as to understand what the logic is around that particular signing. So we'll have to wait and see. And again, we're trusting him, so.
0: There's something maybe we, we don't know or we haven't seen. I was astounded at the press conference recently when, it wasn't the pre-United one, but when Pep was asked about, um, somebody asked a question and said, um, why do you not play Otamendi and Stones together at the back anymore? You haven't done it since the Norwich game. And his answer more, was more or less because Fernandinho's better than both of them at centre-back. Yeah. Now, enough. he didn't quite use those words, but that's pretty much what he said. And On two levels, that really worried me because I thought, first of all, you're saying publicly that your two international centre-backs, one's an England international, one's an Argentinian international, are not as good as, I love Fernandinho, a 34-year-old Brazilian midfielder (laughs) who's not a regular centre-back. So what message does that send out?
1: I've been... Really well quite critical of um, Otamendi because sometimes he does put the fear of God in me you know with his sliding tackles and sometimes I do think he's too rash and hot-headed but you know Burnley game he, he put in a great performance and then yesterday he was on, on the bench and I just didn't really understand it but it all goes back to if you're playing Fernandinho in front of the back line you've got more protection there and you've got more grit there So, I mean, perhaps I could play in defence if we've got Fernandinho in front of that, you know what I mean? Because he offers that much more and and more protection. So why can we see it? In the
0: early games this season, Pep selected Rodri in front of the back four when Fernandinho wasn't playing. Fernandinho's only come back in as a Mm centre-back. I can only assume that if there hadn't been this injury crisis at the back to Laporte, that Fernandinho would still not be in this team and that Rodri would be being picked as the defensive midfielder. So all those who are calling for Fernandinho to go back to his position, he's not going to get that position back because Pep thinks he's better than the two centre halves, Fernandinho, but that Rodri's better and it actually when the follow-up question came from the press, um they said, Well what about Fernandinho going back? He said, Well Rodri and Gundogan are better in that position. Well your your mate Stu Brennan put something out mid
3: middle of last week, which I think must have got buried in the in the Love Fest after um Burnley, that you know, Fernandinho will not play in that position again, kind of unofficial sort of uh, line that the club is taking. And to be honest, all the behaviour suggests there's some truth in that that they want to push Rodri and give him all the time he needs to enable him to settle in. Now, that's that's fine, okay. But yesterday, I'm watching Kevin de Bruyne and Bernardo Silva absolutely doing nothing. In terms of supporting our defence when United broke and got when they turned our backs yesterday, if you if you want, you just have to watch only the highlights that they showed on Match of the Day, and you can watch De Bruyne. watch every single and we don't expect him to be, but he did nothing. He was looked like he was he was on Valium, frankly. Um, and Bernardo had a very poor game again yesterday in terms and of course got himself tangled up in in the box at the wrong time for for the penalty against Rashford. So I think it's not fair just to hang this on Rodri, actually. I think if they want to push him and they they want to make something of him, I think the rest of the team's got to accommodate him. It's a fact.
1: There's been, like, that's another part of the problem recently, that the players who normally, you know, are leading, leading the attack, the likes of De Bruyne, Bernardo, and even to an extent Sterling, have been underperforming. And we've seen it. Bernardo doesn't look anywhere near the player that he, he was last season. I don't know whether the the whole Twitter for Ro has has had a, a big effect on him, but th- that's that's the fact. We've not seen anywhere near the best of any of those players. Maris for me is in the better form than Bernardo, so for me Marus should be starting. And I think that um, David Silva is overplayed. I don't. I think he's too old to be playing that much football. Um, obviously, he's an absolute legend and a superstar but i think he was given the captaincy out of nostalgia he's not a leader he doesn't really offer any leadership qualities he's too quiet you want somebody who's going to grab you by the you know what and drag you through a performance like yesterday and get you the results and i don't want to That's mention kevin him, de bruyne
0: at the moment isn't it you've got to, you've he's got the to one. pick somebody mm. like that well, on, the, on the subject, another subject I want to bring in here is because he um, it, it, it seems to be flying under a radar a little bit here, although we've sort of mentioned him. Um, and, and Harlan, who was on the, the vlog yesterday, um, went straight for him and said, John Stones for me is finished. So I'm just going to say, or when he said finished, in his mind, he, he's gone beyond him, so to speak. Um, I, you know, just, just tell me what
2: you think of, of John Stones in defence. Well, he says it all when you see. This is the thing with Pep. I don't know if he's playing mind games or what, but he'll say things like, "Phil Foden, the best midfield, best player I've ever worked with. What a superstar he's going to be." John Stones, fantastic player. What you know? What a star he's going to be in English football's in great hands. Then picks some, you know, Fernandinho ahead of him, or picks anybody ahead of John Stones. You know Phil Foden sits on the bench. You know I'm not now. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm a massive fan of Phil Foden's, but I'm not in this like club of oh you've got to bring him on. We'll, we'll come to, to Phil on.
0: Foden in a minute, but I'm just stick with Stones for the yeah, second. Yeah. So are you saying that you you think Stones should be given his head and should be, be being told he's grey and keep him in the team, or have you are you of the same opinion as Harlem, which is that you don't trust him?
2: Well, I don't trust him. But if Pep's saying, is this, that and the other, what signals is that sending out to the player? If you're saying, one minute you're saying, you're really good player, the best defender I've ever worked with, and then the next thing, he's picking somebody in in, in advance of him. He's not even getting in the team. He's, sat, he's not even on the bench for some of them. So what does that tell him? He's got to send mixed signals to the player. The player's not sure what's going on.
3: But, well, first of all, he's, he's not getting his England uh, call-ups. So that's got to be affecting him. I, I tend to feel, and I think yesterday, you look at some of the incidents, it looks like he needs his hand-holding yeah. to me. And if you've got you know the kind of players like Amaric Laporte, although he's young, or Vincent Company, I think Stones fits in. But I think when you put him with Fernandinho, I think yesterday we could see that hopefully Stones' pace would have been the reason why he got overlooked uh, why Otamendi got overlooked and that might have been a mistake actually because I think Kyle did all the mopping up yesterday he did. Yeah. Um, so actually I think you know Harland's pretty perceptive and I have to say that he's probably made a decent call with uh, with Stones there that he's got to have the right accompanying act I think you can't rely on him to, to stand up and say right I'm going to boss this position he needs, he needs support um, and I think that's where we're going to struggle. So if, if we, Laporte was fit, Stones and Laporte, would, you'd be quite comfortable with that? I'd be happier than than what we've got now because I think we've got to get Fernandinho out of the back four in defensive midfield, at least on certain games where we need that experience. Not to take the pressure off Rodri a little bit, but um, I think we need to buy a centre-half.
0: Okay, let's move on to another one that I've got here, another direct message that came. This came from a guy called Mike Cook, um, and he's, this is a subject I think we've talked about before, but he says, Yesterday, once again, the inverted wingers failed. Sterling was in wan pocket all game. Bernardo was terrible on the opposite side. Why is Pep persisting with a tactic that's failed all season? Opposite, Opposition defences just double up on the wingers for the cutback inside, leaving the outside free, safe in the knowledge that we won't go down the line. Have you noticed how many blocked shots we have every game due to the fact that we're not getting behind defences rather than to shoot through eight to nine men? Sterling and Bernardo and Ma- Stroke-Marez are not Robin and Ribéry, so let's go back to a right footer on the right, left footer on the left. We won t- two titles with that.
2: I, I said yesterday to the, the lads stood around me, it was, was all going on, you know, talking at half time and I said, if Pep is watching this game like we're watching it, just swap your wingers, swap your wingers either side, bring Fernandinho into the centre of mid, and stick stick some, stick Rodri back in the defence, and we've got this game. That was it. That's that to me. I'm I'm no genius. But everyone around me agreed with me. I've been on Twitter today and said the same thing. I've not had anybody disagree with that. So, you know, I don't know how many fans have agreed with it, but should we say four five hundred? So if we're all seeing it, why is Pep not seeing it apart from him being stubborn? Is Do he you, trying to you, prove a point to somebody? Would you,
0: would you put Sterling on the right? I mean, I, I, I tend to agree with what Mike Cook's saying in that I thought, I think personally, Sterling's far more effective on the right um, when Sane was fit, and obviously he's been a huge loss this season, it was that. It was Sterling on the right, Sane on the left, and Aguero down the middle. And I felt that was City's most effective attack. City signed Riyad Mahrez. I'm not sure, although i take your, your point. I'm not I'm not having a go at what you said, Emily, about former, etc. But he... <laughs> I've got to say, I do feel as if he's a bit of a one-trick pony. So he's a bit predictable. He comes in, it's always the same thing. You try and cut in field and have a, a shot towards a far post. And if it's that predictable, I can tell what he's going to do. That means clever opposition can stop it. Perhaps the weaker opposition can't. It's just, just a fact because he's a good player. No doubt he's a good player. But against the top, top teams, it is predictable. And... If you if you watch the highlights on match of the day last night as I did and freeze it in certain positions you see that as soon as Sterling gets it he comes in field as soon as Bernardo or Mahrez, they come in field and all the players the opposition players block up the penalty area and it just becomes as Mike said there, you know it's like a wall of players in front and you can go oh yeah well but for that block and we had more shots than them and you'll see some statistic on sky that says we had 55 shots and they only had three yeah but all those shots were into a crowded penalty area where they were inevitably unless it was just unstoppable going to be blocked
1: but that's the problem we be- we are predictable that's what I was saying before that people have just sussed us out and you know everybody says that pep doesn't need a plan a plan b when plan a comes off so spectacularly but plan a hasn't been coming off apart from the burnley game for quite a while and with the burnley game burnley were absolutely atrocious you know they got beat by Palace the game before they got absolutely thumped by Spurs after our game 5-0 Burnley were maybe Burnley were that bad that they actually quite flattered our result so we
0: get carried away by it wrongly then the the win at Burnley
1: I just think like potentially yeah I think it kind of gave a lot of people hope didn't it and then obviously we're back down to earth with a bump but I just think teams know how to set up against us now and how to low block high block you know this this so-called plan b of like the balls coming into the box and there's nobody up there where the where the ball's going Mm -hmm. into we've got no height and that always happens when we're struggling we seem to revert to that that seems to be this like odd plan b and if plan a worked, happy days but we have been found out to an extent so it's kind of like it all feels a little bit stale at the moment and where, where do we go from here? And it, it's not an overreaction, it's just being realistic. I do feel like we have been found out a little bit and the blocking is happening all the time.
0: I can't believe we're up to 55 minutes already and we <laughs> aim for about an hour in this podcast. So so I know we could carry on talking on these subjects but so I'm going to there's one other little subject I'll quickly throw in. This won't take very long and then I want to know where city are going from here because you know there might be doom and gloom around at the moment but obviously there are a lot of games coming up, a lot of big games coming up and what the future is Um, so let me just quickly throw this in it might seem relatively inconsequential but we talked about the 5.30 kickoff against United we know now that the FA Cup tie against Port Vale is 5.30 it's not on English TV anywhere it's been moved because overseas TV want to show it at 5.30 I am a match-going fan, you're match-going fans, it might not matter, and it certainly doesn't matter to me because I'm in a very fortunate position of my life revolves around City, my work revolves around City, so it could be played at three in the morning it wouldn't make any difference, I don't have to go to work the next day. However, I have a lot of empathy for fans who want to get to the game, who want to get home afterwards to Saturday afternoon FA Cup tie when the tickets are cheaper, when you might be able to take your kids to the first game and all those things, and suddenly this game's moved to 5.30. Now I know matches are moved to these odd times all the time for television, but this one does stick a little bit for me. I'm not against overseas fans. I I, I love the fact that we've got overseas fans all over the world. But even they surely would agree that the match-going fans should be the priority. And if you're an overseas fans who lives in a different territory and you have to watch it at one in the morning, well, you know, thanks for watching and you're great fans and I admire loyalty. But we can't be moving games just for you. So it does bug me a little bit. Am I wrong? <laughs> does it bug you, or does it not matter that it's five thirty Saturday?
1: Let's be honest. The match-going fans are um, always coming last nowadays. Uh, whether it's VAR because they don't really care about including us in on that, or you know the kick-off times being moved, we always seem to come last when we're actually going game in game out. to that you know, and it just no- it doesn't make sense whatsoever. But. I mean, I'm like you, I love the overseas fans. I'm close to quite a few of them on all my social media, and I absolutely love that. Um, it doesn't really offend me that much, the half five kickoff. Um, but i'm I it's not offense
0: it's, it's more my, my empathy is with the inconvenience that the match doing fans potentially I'm not me, of, suffer
1: i'm used to it by now though because they're always chopping and changing you know like sometimes they do it really last minute and people have got all the trains and and, and plane journeys booked and and it's like an absolute disgrace but it, it, you maybe, be- I'm wrong. Become, maybe I'm wrong but man. you become you, you, you kind of like become almost immune to it because you're just so used to oh here we go again we ju- you just got to take it on the chin because we're being inconvenienced again and we shouldn't take it but that's become like accustomed to it
3: well I mean the club as part of the Premier League and, and separately when it comes to these competitions you know the television companies rule however cynically I'm going to say that it's quite obvious that the club wants to develop its American audience. The tour's going to be there next summer. This obviously provides a perfect time, perfect slot, for people to go to the pub or watch it at home, and for them to get more people interested. But for, as, a,
0: as, a, as a match-going fan, I mean, it's just another inconvenience. And if, uh, if there's nobody, you know, if the, if the attendance is lower, I mean, I'm sure the tickets will be very, very cheap for a home game against Port Vale in the FA Cup. Um if the if the attendance is a bit lower, people will say, "Oh, you know, uh, come they can't fill the seats." There's a multitude of reasons, and this is one of them.
2: I mean, the, the the thing what gets me is is would we change a world championship boxing match held in America so that the British fans could watch it <laughs> at seven o'clock? Would we? No, we wouldn't. So this is this is to pamper to the minorities, as far as I can see. Let's pump let's pamper to the, the match going fans. We're the ones who who have kept the clubs going for years and years and years. If if it means I might now go on holiday. Um, so while I'm away at Christmas, I think the two hours in front. So when we kick off here at eight, it's ten o'clock there. So what? I have to what I have to stay up late. Don't want to watch it at ten o'clock. If you want to watch it, you'll stay up late and watch it. You know, when the Super Bowls on. If you want to watch the Super Bowl, you have to stay up late and watch it, don't you? Mm. Don't pamper to it. If 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 they're that, if they want to see it that much, they'll stay up and watch it.
0: All right, let's move on to another subject to finish off, because uh, we're already over where we would normally finish, but we can't ignore this. City's next game is is in Zagreb. It's a dead rubber. Um, Paul and I will be there, uh, even though it's a dead rubber. Setting off in the middle of the night, travelling down to Stansted. Oh. I'm already um, feeling tired but but then we return with Arsenal away Leicester at home, Wolves away so three big games at the moment as we sit here Leicester are six points clear of City Um, these are huge huge games now off the back of this derby match are you worried now that there is going to be a f- there are there are happy clappers out there and I know people don't like that expression but there are happy clappers out there who say ah the title race isn't quite over yet you know keep keep the faith and all the rest of it we've closed gaps like that before we're six points behind Leicester now are you worried about the Leicester game are you worried about the Arsenal game are you worried about City getting in the top four where are you as a City fan
1: yeah Leicester <laughs> Vardy <laughs> counter attacks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just. Uh, um, at least yeah. they
0: haven't got mare's. You say so much, Emily, without actually saying. <laughs> just, just your laugh, just your sigh, actually says so much, doesn't I it?
1: Just, I, I mean, I, I um, you know me, I am normally a little misoptimistic, banging the drum for yes, come on, but I'm, I'm kind of, uh, it, it's, I don't really know what to expect at the moment with City because we've seen Jekyll and Hyde this week, we've seen Burnley 4-1 and United 2-1 and it was really Jekyll and Hyde and I, where, I just don't know what, I go now and I expect the unexpected because I'm never really sure what I'm going to see but Leicester does worry me. I mean, if we go to Arsenal and they and, and they get a result after the way that they've been playing somehow, with I mean... They, they do have a couple of players who've got pace and who can go at us. And if it continues in this way that like we, we've we been getting found out, then I am quite worried for the top four, if I'm being honest. Here's another <laughs> question
0: for you, right? <laughs> um, you, you know, well, I'll throw this one in as well. Um, if I'd have asked you, I don't mean you specifically, the three of you, but if I'd have asked City fans uh, three weeks ago what their priority was, uh, everybody would have said winning the Premier League not bothered about the Champions League Mickey Mouse Cup Premier League Premier League Premier League um, is the
2: Champions League now the only thing that matters um, I went to bed last night and I woke up cleansed <laughs> because <laughs> Now we're
0: going into personal stuff, are we <laughs> oh, <wow.
2: laughs> Me too um, <laughs> And I'll, I'll, I'll explain it before I was rudely interrupted with laughter.
0: <laughs> Your own laughter, um, <laughs> by the
2: way. <laughs> I, um, I went to bed last night and I just I woke up this morning and I thought, you know what? The league's done. It's done. Don't care what anybody says, we ain't coming back from that. Forget the excuses and all the rest of it. The league's done. So, I don't have to worry about the, the league. I can just enjoy myself at the football. I can go to the cup matches. If we win some cup matches, we win some cup matches. If we win the Champions League, we win the Champions League. You know what? I'm not bothered. Don't, well, don't do, honest, are you not now going? Oh, honest, I've got no, to win the Champions League no, this year. I'm, I'm just not bothered. I feel like a weight's been lifted off my shoulder. I'd like to thank Man United for doing that. <laughs> because, because what I, a weird I, thing to say. No, Cleansed honest. I just don't. I don't. I don't. I woke up and I just thought, what am I getting all stressed up about over here? The league's done now. We've had we've had a cracking, belt in two or three seasons. We've lived the dream. We've not won a Champions League yet. If we win it this year, absolutely brilliant. If we don't, so if we, we win
0: the Champions League this year, doesn't it make up? For, if, if they don't win the league, but they win the Champions of League, it you does. Go, wow! Pep's won the champ. Everything's, yeah, yeah, yeah. St- you know, everybody's yeah. happy. Isn't that the case? It is,
2: but you know what? I'm not bothered.
0: <laughs> well, I'd,
3: just to throw in, um, according to Guardiola, uh, you know, to honour the Champions League, he's not going to play the kids uh, on Wednesday. So we're going to put a full team out against Dynamo Zagreb according to Guardiola. So that'll be interesting to see who we play. Arsenal are probably the easiest game on paper we've got until the 1st of January for me. Because um, if you haven't looked, Sheffield United haven't lost away from home yet this season. We're playing them only 36 hours after we finished playing Wolves, who by the way are just uh, qualified for the Europa League knockout phase and they've had a good win today. And they've got less games per week. And they beat us at home. And they beat us at home. And then Everton have got their Pablo Zabaleta as the manager, haven't they now? Absolutely. So they're not exactly going to come on New Year's Day feeling uh, if they've had a few more results between now and then. So I actually think you might be asking us in January, is top four a priority? Is that where we're going to be? Because we could actually be in that position unless there's a a stark change in performance level. Over the next games, and they've, they've got all the ingredients there where the teams are playing. So it's going to be a very interesting time for uh, for the club going into into January. I've got Grace, one we, more we question. Still,
2: we still need eighteen points to be not get relegated. <laughs> To be safe, so, so I've so got one more question. I've
0: got one more question to ask you, uh, and and it deserves more than this, and it will get more than this in the next podcast or in subsequent podcasts. Because it isn't that I don't want to talk about this, but we've had so much to talk about, and you've given such good answers and in depth stuff to what we've been discussing. and We haven't talked about Phil Foden and the demands that there are from City fans as to why is he not playing, why is he not getting picked. Is it, you know, when when Pep first came, uh, the argument was that he was reluctant to give Youngsters a chance. He talks uh, Phil Foden up. He says he's the best young player he's ever worked with. And we're talking about Iniesta, Messi and all the rest of them. So, on the one hand, the first question is, why is Pep not picking him? And the second question is, do you, as individuals, believe what all City fans seem to believe is that get Phil Foden in this team, and all our problems are solved. I'll lead the bat in on this one. Um,
3: <laughs> I would have said, who do you take away? That would have been the you know, standard answer. Who would you take out of the team to put Foden in? Well, this is a losing team now. Right, and I would say, um, we need a pair of legs because yesterday we didn't have legs. Okay, that was missing. Now, whether Foden can be the best player going forward or not, I'd have him in the team and give him the clear instruction that when we're playing against sides who can do the sort of damage that the sides who've beaten us this season, he's expected to work his little legs off, getting back and getting his foot in as much as possible to support our defensive midfielder and our centre halves and our wing backs. And then if if he's not knackered after an hour. And coming off, he's not worked hard enough. And that's what we should say to the lad. Because he's, he's got an engine and he's got the legs and he's got a footballing brain. And I'd use him for that and that alone. Do you want to see him play at Arsenal? I do definitely want to see him play at Arsenal for that reason.
1: Yeah, hundred. I yeah, couldn't agree more. You
0: believe in him? You believe he could be the, the answer to all this? I
1: believe in his potential. um And I believe that he's got a role in the team. Like I've said before, I think that we've overplayed David Silva um, at his age. He can't play... The games that he has been playing Um and the problem has been in midfield that it's been so slow and pedestrian there's been no zip there's been no spark there's been no pace and that is everything that Foden potentially has to offer I think Pep kind of set himself up a little bit by nice bigging, him, picking him, bigging him up so much so because he's bigged him up so much that's why people are asking so many questions as to like if you're speaking about it about him like that why aren't you playing him you know, if you're coming out in public and saying that, you've got to be playing the lad, surely. And there's a role for him there. Silver's going at the end of the season, so surely you'd be integrating him more and more to naturally bring him into the side, preparing for next season. Because surely if he doesn't play as big a role, uh, a bigger role next season, then surely he's got to be questioning his future at the club.
3: I don't see what he's got to lose. There's been a number of occasions where he could have just introduced Foden. Uh, to just put extra legs on and he's not done it. So I think to answer your sort of persistent question, why doesn't he pick him? It's obviously because he doesn't believe in him. At least not to the extent where he'll say, right, and I trust you to make a difference in this game. I, it I, has to be the only conclusion. I completely logical agree with, with,
2: with what everybody said here, to be honest. I mean, whether he's the best player, whether he's as good as David Silver was or, or, or whoever... The fact that he can run around like a little terrier in that midfield, annoying and nipping at people's ankles and disrupting play. If you've got him disrupting play in the, in the, in the midfield up top, and you've got Fernandinho at the back disrupting mid uh, play, then you can have your other midfielders distributing and, and, and being allowed to play. Um, yeah, I mean, I we don't know how good he is because we've not really had a chance to see him, but for them reasons alone, I think he's got to have a little bit of a run at the moment. If nothing else, if nothing else, just to, sh- you know, I don't mean it's in a disrespectful way, just to shut the fans up. You know, at least if we bung him in there and he, and he, and he has a nightmare, I'm sorry for the lad, but then at least you can turn around and say, right, we'll, we'll put that one to bed now. But I don't think he will. I think he'll come in if we can let him get in there and, and just, just be a nuisance. Just get on and play play your game
0: thanks very much to charles the sponsors of the podcast they're chartered mortgage advisors i really appreciate their support and if you need some support in buying a mortgage for you yourselves some family friends or some advice on buying a house, have a look at their website, website even, CharlesLewis.co.uk. there's a phone number on there, ask for Dave, tell him you heard about him and the company on the Forever Blue podcast and we will be indebted to you. Thanks very much for listening, thanks very much to Emily, to Paul and to Andy making his debut Uh, and we will be back. I'm sorry this one's a little bit longer than normal but I think it deserves a little bit longer because there's been a, a lot to talk about Hopefully, by the time we do the next one, which will be recorded on the Monday evening um, after the Arsenal game, uh, there won't be quite as much to talk about. Um, uh, and in the meantime, I'll tell you that in the coming week, probably to, probably about Thursday this week, um, I, I did an interview, uh, as I was writing the book, with Vincent Company, the the Trouble triumph, with him, with Kevin De Bruyne and Brian Kidd. And, it, and we made it into a programme which is on Tameside Radio, which is where we are now. So thanks very much to Tameside. Radio for the facilities where we record the podcast, and I'm going to give you the chance to listen to that as a podcast. So that will be released later this week. So if you want to hear Vincent Company uh, talking about why he wrote a book and the start of, of, of the process that I went through with him to write it, you want to hear Kevin De Bruyne talking about Vincent Company. You want to hear Brian Kidd talking about Vincent Company. That will be available as a podcast. Uh, later in the week we'll be back to talk normal podcast as it were we'll record it Monday night you'll get it about 11 o'clock on Monday night next week in the meantime remember this I always say this win, lose or draw (laughs) remember it's fantastic to be a Blue see you next time